0: Welcome to the 53rd episode of the Animal Riot Podcast, brought to you by Animal Riot Press, a literary press for books that matter. I'm your host, Brian Birnbaum. If you're new to the Animal Riot community, welcome, and you can find out more about us at animalriotpress.com. Now on to the episode, You Filthy Animals, with today's guests, Lee Matthew Goldberg and Marco Rafala. Did I pronounce that right, Marco? Uh, Rafala. Rafala. Yeah, it's got the accent. Lee has been published in multiple languages and nominated for the 2018 Prix du Polar. Wow, you guys are making this tough on me. <laughs> His first sci fi novel, Orange City, will be published in 2021. He is the editor in chief and co founder of Fringe, dedicated to publishing fiction that's outside the box. His pilots and screenplays have been finalists in Script Pipeline, Book Pipeline, Stage 32, We Screenplay, the New York Screenplay, Screencraft, and the Hollywood Screenplay Contests. After graduating with an MFA from the new school, his writing has also appeared in the anthology Dirty Boulevard, The Millions, Kajibi? Kagabi
1: I think it's Kajibi, but I might be wrong. Kajibi.
0: Okay. K- wow. Kijibi, yeah. Really testing me here. Kajibi. Kajibi, The Montreal Review, The Adirondack Review, The New Plains Review, Underwood Press, Monologuing, and others. We also have with us Marco Raffala, who is a first-generation Sicilian-American novelist. There you go. I'm half Sicilian. I love it. I I knew that already, but, you know, just giving you a shout-out. Musician and writer for award-winning tabletop role-playing games. Wow, that's. I want to talk about that. He earned his MFA in fiction from the New School as well, and is co-curator of the Gorilla Lit reading series in New York City. Born in Middletown, Connecticut, he now lives in Brooklyn, New York. His fiction and nonfiction have appeared in the Bellevue Literary Review and Literary Hub. Oh, yeah, I got something in there, too. His debut novel, How Fires End, is a finalist for the 2020 Connecticut Book Awards. I just saw that. Did you just add that when you sent it to me? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, congrats on that. And that was published with Little A, right? Yes. Am I, am I correct? Yeah, I, th- I thought yep. so. Yeah, that's, you know, I had something to talk about first, but I'm actually interested. H- how has that been? I'm really curious about Little A. And uh, I don't, what are your feelings on, you know, working with Amazon and like, you know, it, it's strange. You know, we as a press, as a, you know, Animal Riot, we have a a, a partnership with Amazon and it's, it's tough. You know, we also put our uh, titles on Bookshop. Have you guys heard of Bookshop? Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. You know, everyone has but me until like a few weeks ago. Our new social media extraordinaire uh, Annie Krabben Schmidt, she's great. Um, she she told us about it, but um, but yeah, you know, we put it on there just in case people just refuse to use Amazon. You know, they right. boycott yeah. Amazon. You know, I personally don't have as odious sentiments with Amazon as others. You know, it's not like I endorse some of the practices. You know, it's just exactly yeah. the big picture is I see that they do. You know, without Amazon during COVID, we would have been in huge trouble. Like really big trouble. So it's it's not like they don't provide a service. Right. They do a lot for small presses. Yeah, um, and, and, know, and they, just they, society they in general. They do. Right. You know? Yeah. Um I mean, so yeah, I don't know. What are what are your thoughts?
2: Well, like any giant corporation, they should pay their taxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean
0: Yeah, both. one of one of all of them, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I've I've had nothing but a wonderful experience with the people who work at Little A, from my editor to the publicist to, to everyone who who, you know, is employed there. They're wonderful people. Um, they love books. They care about books. And yeah, I don't have anything. I, I had a great experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Did you, were, did you court, were you courted or did you court, I, could, I should say any other, any other presses or was that kind of like you got an offer and you were like, this is great. No. You, yeah. It was submitted to various publishing houses. Yeah. Yeah. So um, through an agent. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, that's good to hear. I'm, I'm glad you had a good experience. The only other person I know of who uh, published with Little A is Jackie Gilbert. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. Yeah, She's, yeah I know her. Yep. She's her girl, of mine. Yeah. yeah. She read with you guys? Yeah. yeah. She's, She's great. Cool.
2: She's
0: go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She just had a baby a little while ago. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I haven't heard from her in a long time. Let's talk about the series, the reading series first. I don't know if you guys are sick of talking about this, but <laughs> for our listeners, they'd no, probably no. like to know. Because, you know, one of the things we'd like to talk about on here is like sort of how the, the New York scene and how it's kind of the mecca of literary happenings and functionings in the world, pretty much how, how it affects writers who don't live in New York. And we'll get to that. But, you know, Lee, you're from New York and Marco, you're from Connecticut. You know, you're at least close. And yeah. So how, how did you guys start? I, I, I want to know, you know, how it's affected you guys, you know, as writers. But first, let's talk about the series, how it started, how you guys met each other, all that good um, stuff. Yeah. Marco
1: and I went to the new school together and. And with a few other new schoolers who were no longer a part of Gorilla, we, we started the series pretty much right after we graduated. So that was what was the Marco 06, I think. Yeah, I,
2: I think so. Yeah, it was a way to to sort of maintain that community that we had that we had found amongst each other at the new school. You know, we didn't want to lose that. You so know, that was how it's that was sort of why it started and how.
1: There also was so much like doom and gloom when we graduated. It was like three percent of you will
0: publish, uh-huh.
1: and you know, yeah, you know, yeah. At, yeah. like don't even bother kind of did a Um,
0: lot of your professors say that was that or is that like, yeah, you know,
1: it was sort of like intimated. I mean, the new school was amazing, but I think they were realistic. And actually, probably if you look at like percentage wise, it's probably really close to that. So, yeah, I, I
0: mean, we, um, we you guys know Garth uh, Risk Kahlberg, of course, I oh, studied yeah. I, I, t- I took a class with him and, you know, he looked at our, our professors weren't really like that. They were not as doom and gloom, but uh, he, he did. He looked at all of us and he was like, you know, five percent of you guys are still going to be writing five years from now. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, I kind of loved it. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be one of them. (laughs) Um, But anyway, yeah. People who were
1: really like almost serious, like this potentially could be a career or a side career, at least I think are the ones that wound up still writing, still actively trying to publish. And there are other people I think it was, you know, more of like a hobby and and an interest and, you know, the publishing industry, it's, it's tough as hell and you're rejected all the time. And I think if it's not a complete passion of yours, uh, it's very hard to kind of go forward. Yep. So the Gorilla Lit became, uh, I don't know, like a safe haven. It was a place we could read our work, we could meet other writers. We could hang out with each other post graduation. And now, almost 15 years later, um, we're still doing it. We've moved places, but um, it's, it's still the same Gorilla Lit. Nothing has changed in terms of that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I have to go back to what you said about it being a hobby. I probably, I, I don't know, I feel kind of mean for saying this, but it, it's also really true. It's like, I, it always blew my mind that people would go to an MFA program, you know, just to indulge in or even realize that it's a hobby. You know, it it was just crazy to me. And it's true, though. It's true. I guess other people have a little bit more disposable income than me.
1: (laughs) uh, I like, and I'm sure Margot could could say the same. It was like, I was serious about this is what I wanted to do with my life. And I was going to put everything into it. And the MFA was a stepping ground toward that.
2: Exactly. And it's also a teaching degree. So, you know, initially I thought, well, at least I could. And at the time, I think I was like doing customer support online for uh, a company, you know, Uh um, uh answering phones and, um, over and, and doing stuff over the computer. And I thought, you know, I could, I could have this teaching degree and then afterward I can get a job teaching writing. Wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that, Mm -hmm. I would enjoy that turns out I, I didn't enjoy it. I tried it and I hated it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and it just wasn't me. And I didn't want to be one of those teachers that should never have been a teacher. You know what I mean? Yeah, we've just gone through
0: the motions. We've yeah. all had
2: those teachers, right? You know, mm-hmm. the ones that actually don't like their job. Yep, yep. So I did it for a couple of semesters and then I was like, no, this isn't for me. I'm out.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've all had those teachers. I would say there's uh, very few teachers who are really dedicated which is sad. But yeah, I think I've had two or three in my life that I could say they came to class like every day, like it was their first day, which is interesting. So what happened with the uh, Yeah, so you, you guys created the series with some other people. Did other people just go their separate ways? Um,
2: you know, they moved yeah. out of the city, yeah. mainly. Yeah, like we have a close friend who runs
1: um, a reading series now in Hudson, New York volume. Reading. Oh, cool. So she was one of the initial uh, people uh, another one moved to L.A. And then Marco's wife, Camellia, about, what was it, four years ago, I want to say now? I think, Probably.
2: Yeah. When uh, da- whenever, whenever it was that Danny moved to Hudson? Right. Sort of, amelia stepped in.
1: Danny's Danny's place. And now the three of us run it together. And while we miss everybody, I, I, it's better three than when we had five. Because five was just a lot of, like, kitchen. Yeah. And three, it's like, we all have our roles and... You know, it, 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 uh, some of it runs itself a little bit now as well after doing it this long.
0: Yeah, that's kind of exactly what Katie and Devin say about, about Animal Riot. Yeah. So, I mean, it's amazing. How long, how long have you guys been running it?
1: We started, I think, 07. Like, wow. 07. 13, 14
0: oh, yeah. years. That's amazing. Yeah,
1: 13, 14 years. And we used to do it more monthly and now we do it really like six times a year certain seasons but other than that we never stopped doing it it was it was pretty straightforward even when we were shopping for new uh,
2: venues
0: yeah yeah it was one of the few series that I read at where I felt very intimidated (laughs) because you know you guys had Julia there oh yeah
2: that was a hell of a lineup
0: yeah Yeah. and I was I was like wow I'm just some little like indie author you know it was uh It was it was great. It was a lot of fun. And I just love the setup. It's a really great place. But uh, before we get to kind of what it's been like, you know, obviously, with having to move the series online or people are doing different things, I want to talk a little get back to what I was saying about being close to or inside of new york and how it's maybe influenced both of you as writers and and you guys can talk about when did you decide you know or like you know realize you guys were writers and kind of connect it to that because a lot of well you know one of one of the things we did on a earlier episode we were down in little rock and we talked to some artists down there and We get perspectives from people that aren't in New York and they feel a sense of disconnection in a little bit of a way. But, you know, obviously it's a little easier these days. You know, you're not putting your manuscript in an envelope and, you know, tending to your farm at the same time, you know, in Iowa. But yeah, so I don't know. Start where you guys want to. But like how how has New York affected your the gestation of becoming a writer or, or, you know, even now?
1: I mean, I think for myself growing up here and sort of seeing New York change so much over time, I kind of became a writer with New York. So even as a little kid, it was something that I wanted to do. These days, when the weather's nice, my office is Central Park and I work outside every day. So so much in New York, even if I'm not writing about it, winds up being infused into my work. And, you know, in non-COVID times, what's amazing is like throw a stone and you could see any literary reading. There's five or ten sometimes every day so it's it's such a culture here and you meet so many other writers here that it really kind of makes you feel like you're you're included in sort of a big group where i'm I'm sure in other places it's not quite the same
0: yeah definitely not i think in you know when we were in little rock i think they mentioned like one sort of reading series that was up at the time um and we and we we got a salon started there uh, at some point and obviously now it's really tough yeah yeah, it's uh, a lot of people want to be here, but what, what about you, Marco? Just
2: for a minute, I wanted to mention because you were talking about Little Rock and the salon you set up there. There's a great reading series in it's, it's either in Little Rock or North Little Rock. I'm not sure what the geography of those two places are, but it's called mm-hmm. the Argentia Reading Series. They're on oh, hiatus, geez. Argentia. Yeah, they're on hiatus right now because of the pandemic and the Argentia. The guy who runs it didn't want to do it online, so he's kind of waiting out the pandemic. But um, yeah. I read there; it's a wonderful place. Yeah did Um, you go
0: down for um uh, (laughs) did you katie's from little rock unless you guys didn't know
2: no i didn't
0: yeah 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 yeah. that's why we did the podcast there did you read for the novel is that when you were down there
2: yes it was part of the book tour
0: yeah yeah um i mean you know i'm jumping a little bit here but like what what has it been like i mean obviously the book tour was probably over before this happened or or was it still going on
2: no it was still going on i had a bunch of dates and
0: you did, yeah. Right around... Yeah. I guess it came out in late last year, so yeah, I mean... Yeah, it came out in October right after.
2: 2019, so... And I pretty much went out promoting it right out of the gate. Um, I think right around March is when all my events started canceling because of the, uh, the pandemic. And yeah. most of them didn't attempt to do, like, an online version because I don't think anybody really knew back then how long this was going to last and what was happening. I was, in, I was supposed to be in a bunch of book festivals and stuff that all got canceled, and so... But, you know, rightly so, it should have been. You know, so mm-hmm. I didn't want to go anywhere and get sick. But back to New York. Um, I kind of always in the back of my head wanted to live in New York City. I was in a band when I was younger and we used to come into the city all the time. And when you're like 18 years old driving into the city in a band in at night, you know, and playing at a dingy club, it's just I don't know, it's just like I wanted to be there at some point. I loved the it made me feel alive in a way that I, I didn't feel alive in Connecticut or in other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was always looking for a way to express myself. And I, at first, I, I tried through music, and, and that was just sort of the wrong uh, medium for me. And I had gone to college; I'd gotten a BA in English with a concentration in creative writing. So the transition from music to writing wasn't really strange to me. I'd always read; I've always been like a you know a bookworm. I was always reading books or even when I was in the back of the van, we were driving somewhere to a gig. I was, and if it was in the middle of the night. I had a flashlight and I was reading a book. So when I decided I was going to get an MFA, that's when I thought that was my reason to go to New York. I had no intention of leaving when I moved and I still don't. Even yeah, with the craziness yeah. going on here. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I love it. That's good. I, said,
0: I, I, think, I think you're making the right call eventually, eventually things will get better. But it's just amazing to me that, you know, being in New York, it's like you can see places and touch places where some of your favorite writers or, you know, some of the things you've read about have actually taken place. I think it's like even more than, you know, the ability to network, right? And it's I, just and I, it's an inspiring place. It and really it changes,
2: is. it changes you. It changes your perspective on your work and, and, and what you bring to the table, you know, and, and then just meeting other aspiring writers, other artists, musicians, just with being out in this community, this huge community where so many things are happening, it's wonderful. It just, it changes you in a, in a good way.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so, you know, now, uh, you know, with the pandemic going on, it's almost like New York has been turned into, I don't want to say just another city, you know, but in terms of proximity, it's almost kind of like being remote from New York itself, you know, in a way. Yeah. So I guess it's almost like you've been given the opportunity to see what it's like not to live in New York and be a part of that community, which, by the way, I wanted to I wanted to mention is, is it's amazing the consistency. And it, it it's synonymous when you ask someone, why did they start a reading series? Why do they do this and that? It's like you always get that answer. It's like community. You know, you want to be around other writers. You want to be inspired by other writers. That's why we started this press. It's why. We started Animal Riot, everything like that. But anyway, how are you guys staying sane? <laughs> uh, like, and I don't mean that <laughs> just in you know, a general, you know, generic sense. You know, the whole—I mean, it's kind of cliche at this point. We're all kind of going crazy, or you know, whatever. But I mean, just specifically with writing, it's affected everyone so uniquely. You know, some of my some of my friends um, have been able to write furiously and just, you know, they've they've just been dynamic. You know, um, and some people just are sorely lacking whatever inspiration they need from community or, you know, being in contact with the world. So yeah, I mean, how has it affected both of you guys?
1: Um, I mean, for me, especially at the beginning, like that first month when I didn't really leave my apartment, except to go up to the roof, basically, I was just writing a storm. Like I was halfway into a book that I had started and it became I don't know a way to like shut off from the rest of the world when I really needed to. So I was writing more than I ever had before. I would write every day for like five hours and I, I finished the book. So, you know, I, I mean, it's not like thanks COVID, but um, <laughs> it, it like kicked my ass where I don't think I would have finished it that fast. I mean, now I had a book come out last, last week. So the last couple months has just been like publicity for that. And that's been its own weird animal
2: related yeah,
0: cool. distance wise. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know it came out just last week. I thought it was actually still yet to come out. I know. Um, I missed it too. I was like, wait, your book came out already? Wow. Yeah. It was um, another after yes, effect yours of COVID. Dropped, uh-huh. but Yeah, yours dropped right. You know, I mean, thank so, somewhat not right in the middle. Like, you know, it wasn't in March, but still, it's like, it's not like you're going out and doing readings right now. You no, know?
1: I mean, I've gotten a lot of like essays and stuff like that and i'm doing a ton of podcasts and i'm spending a lot of money for a publicist that hopefully will get me like gigs into september october but yeah i mean i had a launch and it was on zoom like it wasn't it was fine but yep,
0: that's it, what we're doing too for david for david hollander's book yeah. yeah
1: but it's not quite like you know you have a party and you actually see all your friends and family and like for each one of my we yeah. have gotten a cake and like at the cover on the cake but nobody needs to play a violin me, you know, yeah,
0: well, yeah, I mean, but also people buy books at those events, you know, on Zoom. It's not, I feel like there's a little bit of a disconnect between looking at someone on a screen and then going to another tab and buying it on oh, Amazon. Well, you know?
1: People who go to events, they also feel like they have to buy the book, yes,
0: exactly. No one can tell, you can, you know, no, yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: You can't leave without it, uh-huh. so yeah, look, I'm sure it, it, it's hurt sales, but then I don't know, my concept of the publishing industry and what I'm looking for from each book has. Vastly shifted as well, so I'm more interested in like kind of channeling it into a Hollywood kind of concept. Where can I get it to the right people? There, can I turn it into potentially a TV series? You know, and sales are kind of sales. So I'm starting to move away from like worrying about that so much. You know, it is kind of what it is.
0: That's a that's really interesting. I've for the first time in the last couple months thought about the idea of writing a script, like you know, so like a, a show or something. Yeah. Um, do you see, so you see a book as a sort of vicarious means into writing like a show in a way, you know? But you also write screenplays, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, had a, one of my books was Option that went through this whole kind of rigmarole in Hollywood and then ultimately somebody else wrote the screenplay and it was garbage and the whole project fell apart. Oh. Um, so my, my oh. goal now is with each of my books, I'll, I'm writing the script based on it. And then if it falls, at least it falls on my hands. Um, there you go. That's, that's sort of my my, my goal sort of, sort of from here on out. And I go out to LA and I've met a bunch of people sort of in the industry. And this one has a little bit of interest so far. So I think with Hollywood, it's very different than publishing right now. It's like they're actively
0: looking at a lot of things. Potentially yeah. film, and, and especially <laughs> with- It's almost a euphemism, what you just said. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It, it's like uh, it, it's tough. I mean, the literary business. Going back to what you guys said, it's like if you're not passionate about it, it's right. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Because exactly, it's like you know, if anyone's writing to try and get famous, it's like the most inefficient route you could possibly take. <laughs> yeah, you know? no,
1: I genuinely love it. Like I, yeah, writing a perfect sentence is like that's a highlight. Right. Of yeah. so I I think it's true. Anybody going into it for other reasons is wrong. But I think also you should keep your mind open about what potentially could happen with anything that you write. You know, these days you have access to anybody through Instagram through all of these sort of other filters that you never know who might be interested in and, and sort of change your life in
2: terms of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So how about you, Marco has, how's, how's COVID affected your writing?
2: So COVID hit while I was still in book promotion mode and I'm not the most, Lee will know this. Definitely. I'm not the most um, social animal on the planet yeah Um, Mm -hmm. so it really took a lot for me to to do those events to put myself out there to talk about my book to be and it's different than being in a band on stage right because when you're in a band I played guitar I played mandolin I didn't have to speak I just was up there with a bunch of other people and I could just sort of you know meld into this mass of what this band is about you know and when it's you in a book it's just you and a book and the other person who's interviewing you or talking to you or whatever. And there's an audience there and I'm a slow writer. So nobody wants to wait an hour for me to figure out how to articulate myself verbally. So it it took a lot out of me to do those events, but I found that I was enjoying them. And I was, I was definitely enjoying the travel aspect of it. Just being out and like getting on a train, going somewhere, getting on a plane, going somewhere. And it reminded me of, you know, being in a band when I was younger and being on the road. So when COVID hit and my events started canceling for a while, I was just in my apartment, like, I don't know what to do with myself. Because I was in this socialized mode, this, I was sort of hyperactively socialized, and like now I had no, no nothing to do but look at my screen.
0: Um, mm-hmm. So I
2: could not write for weeks. I had to sort of shift gears and and okay, now I'm just going to be a homebody again, and I'm not going to see anyone. So I eventually got back into working on it. I'm slower than I mean I, I do write slowly, and now I'm I'm finding myself writing even slower, essentially because the COVID. My mom had COVID. So it turned turned my spring and summer into this harrowing ordeal. You know, I couldn't go see her because she's in Connecticut. She was in quarantine and, you know, she almost died and then she made it, but then she was still sick for months and then she's finally COVID free. Um, So, but the damage is done. Like the, you know, the the damage to her cognitive abilities and and everything else is Uh really horror hole right through I don't understand how a respiratory disease can affect affect your cognitive abilities but
0: wow that's yeah yeah, so so
2: all of that stuff has been on my mind while I've been trying to work on my next book so it slowed me down sort of exponentially but I'm still plugging away you know
0: yeah yeah I mean that's (laughs) it's amazing that you've even even been able to write it all that's uh yeah that's that's all my wife keeps telling me when I'm hard on myself you know
2: like I don't got to pay. and she's like that's that's a win (laughs) under the circumstances i was gonna ask
0: you if you're beating yourself up at all
2: um yeah i mean i always do anyway but i'm doing it
0: a little more Um, yeah and i know
2: it's not fair but that's you know fair to myself but that's
0: just i don't know where that comes from but Yeah, that's, that's incredibly difficult. You know, I I haven't known too many people who have been affected by it. Um, you're, you're one of the first people, you know, in my firsthand circle that, you know, I've talked to firsthand. I don't know for some people it's a way to escape, you know, um, -hmm. obviously writing is not therapy, you know, it's not, you're working on something that you're trying to put out to the world. You could obviously sometimes people write about the things that are affecting them, but most of the time, not while it's happening. Certainly. right. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) Wow. Well, at least you guys are getting something done, and one of you is getting a lot done. Prolifically. Yeah, Lee, Lee is the most <laughs> prolific of all of my
2: writer friends. He's the most prolific. Most prolific. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's I, always. I wish I had
0: whatever it is that he has, where he just like pounds out a book. Uh huh. I used to be that person. I mm-hmm. uh, I used to write like three thousand words a day or more. You know. That's good. Um, Yeah. It's changed a lot. I'm still, I can still pump out a lot, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm that person among our friends. I'm the, I'm the one who pumps out words. (laughs) I've written like, I've written like four novels or five novels and started like 15, you know, and I just, I just write into something and I'm like, Oh, that sucks. And just like, you know, I'm done with it. Or like, you know, or I finish something and I'm like, is it worth it? And then I came up with one novel. That was the one where I was like, yeah, this is the one I'm going to, see-through, yeah, you know. But anyway, it's uh, it's tough these days, that's for sure. So, you know, I saw on the site that you guys have moved this series to Zoom. Is that still happening or or what's going on?
2: Yeah. So mm-hmm. in the spring, we, so so normally we, we have our reading series at Dixon Place in Lower East Side, and we love that venue. And yeah. the people who work there are wonderful. Um, but they've been closed like everything else has been closed. So our fall season is going to be on Zoom again. I don't know what's happening at Dixon Place right now. I haven't been able to speak to anyone there. Um, Yeah, yeah, so I hope they're okay. I hope they're doing okay. I know they're still looking for donations for people to, you know, donate to them so that they could get through this period of being closed because they are, you know, they're a, a wonderful theater, a wonderful lounge space with a bar. I mean, it's a gorgeous, friendly atmosphere. So I don't know what our fall season will look like, whether we'll be affiliated with them or not, and what they can, you know, what uh, what they can bring to the table in terms of being our partner or us being partnered with them, mm-hmm. um, because I haven't been able to get a hold of anyone, and, and September is coming up pretty oh, fast. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I do I'm hope whether sure, this.
0: I'm sure they're going through a lot, and so you know, the reading series is probably unfortunately not you know yeah. on the top yeah, of their exactly. mind. Exactly.
2: Yeah.
1: There's yeah. The, the series that are there. There's a theater. You know, it's it's a giant, yeah. you know, venue
2: um mm-hmm. and they're a non-profit organization right so right right that's right yeah. i remember
0: that right so yeah
2: they do a lot of great stuff
0: so uh-huh. I,
2: I really i really hope when we get to the other side of this thing that they're still there you know
0: they yeah. we've been
1: there since uh, the 80s yeah yeah like 30 years um so.
0: yeah and were you guys there in 2007 when you started
1: no, no. we were in bar and a i think Bar-in- we were in bar and a and then we were at jimmy's number 43 for a hot minute yeah, uh, least favorite of the places.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, who cares if Jimmy's listening? <laughs> um, <and laughs> Dixon Place has honestly been the best. They've yeah, yeah, they've been the most professional. It's not loud where you're competing with like drunk people, like some of the other ones were.
0: Wow. Yeah, like ours. <laughs> well, I don't
1: remember that at yours, though.
0: It's not. It, it, it ebbs and flows. There's some nights where, you know, I got to go back there and be like, shut the hell up. And yeah. uh, and some nights it's just OK. You know, it's a, it's a crap shoot. Yeah, I had a great experience there when I read. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah well, we try to do our best. You know, if someone if if there's a couple of people or a group of people being assholes, we try to <laughs> tell them they're being assholes, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. And little-
2: uh, bar and a we had we had that problem in spades all the time. Yeah. The, the, the noisy regulars not being respectful. So when they closed, it was kind of like a blessing for like, us. Like, no okay. I see. Yeah. 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 yeah, we went to Jimmys. Jimmys.
1: yeah. I think we've been at, at Dixon for about four years, now, Yeah, I want to say. Um, and doing it spring and fall, also just for ourselves, I, I think has been better because the winter months usually were hard for people to, you know, show up. And then the summer people are away. Um, so we found, um, yeah, spring and fall really has been the best. And yeah. doing it on Zoom, like, it, it was really good. I mean, it was not yeah, we had... being in person, but um, I, I personally was very surprised at how well it wound up turning out. Um, yeah,
2: I mean, I was worried about two things when we transitioned to um, having those series virtually. One was, oh my God, is anybody going to come? Yeah, uh-huh. and then the uh-huh. other was all these Zoom bombing things that I kept reading about, where people would hack yeah. into your thing, right. and, you know, drop it, slash you, or, yeah, yeah, do or say something completely inappropriate, yeah, um, yeah, like show porn on the screen or whatever, uh-huh. they, or whatever. And I went to a couple of Zoom readings where things like that happened. Oh my god! And I was like, God, please don't let this really? happen to ours. And.
1: And now nobody
2: has time for that. Yeah. So when we, we, we did it, we, we, we tried our best to sort of minimize people who would have p- trolls. Essentially, we tried to minimize their access.
0: Yeah. And yeah.
2: We, we never got trolled by a Zoom bomber. And our attendance was great. Yeah. I think there were some we honestly had more. Than more people than we would have if it was a if it was an in-person event. Yeah. That's because you were getting, you were getting, the, we were getting people from other states.
0: Yes. Yeah. Who, that's what who, I was
2: who knew mean. the readers that were reading... Uh and jumped online because they could
1: yeah also it was very because we did it march april and may so we're early into the pandemic people were really stuck at home i have for myself like i just did a zoom launch last week like i'm over zoom you know like and yeah and personally attending events and like it's just gotten old for me so I wonder in the fall if we'll still have that kind of. I hope we do. Um, Yeah, but it it, it's not the same. I think people really needed things like that in the early
2: months of this. Yeah, they were definitely stir crazy back then. Yeah, I know. I was. Yeah. Yeah,
1: No, me too. I mean. Yeah, I mean,
2: I miss you know. I miss getting. I miss taking the subway and going into Manhattan because I live in Brooklyn. Have you? You know, and have you been in Manhattan yet? No. Really. No. I have not. I am not taking the train, man. I'm not going to do it either, but not I, until there's a vaccine. No way. I've taken I, the
1: ferry to Brooklyn and to Queens and stuff like that. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. I saw, um, there was an article, I think it came out with time. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you guys saw this a couple of days ago, but there was a theory. It was like co-signed by a bunch of doctors, but some woman wrote a piece saying that she thinks that it's, you know, it, it's been common. It's been common theory that respiratory illnesses are not passed uh, through aerosols, like basically sprayed through the air. Mm-hmm. But there, the, there's, there's a few doctors that now think that it's very possible that this is the way it's happening because there's, you know, it's, it's been shown that a lot of people outside are not getting sick. Right. But once you get indoors where kind of particles can just like bounce off each other, like, you know, right. poor ad, ventilation or whatever. Ad infinitum, But you know, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Poor ventilation, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, um, I, I just found that interesting. I guess yeah. we'll see. I, I I know what you mean, Lee. Uh, the the Zoom events are I I, not for I tapped out. Yeah. I tapped out a while ago. It's it's tough. It's really tough. It's tough. It's not the same.
1: I, like I do a poker game with friends every two weeks, and like that's all I have in me Zoom wise anymore. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, you know, I I want to get back to it because I feel like it's bad for my mental health. But <laughs> but here I am looking at you guys. <laughs> well, probably, um,
1: that's different that's yeah what did you say podcast that's completely different you know it's yeah
0: yeah (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) so i was thinking you know maybe you guys want to prelude this with what you guys are working on right now um but i was also thinking that maybe you guys if if you're down for it we can do a reading oh sure i i should have said something before yeah i know i should have prepared you guys but you know like i said we can cut this you can get you can ruffle through some pages or whatever you want right now.
2: Sure. I could do the um, the prologue. It's short. It's like two two pages.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, you know, if you want to – however long you want to go, if you want to go five or ten minutes, that's fine with me too. You know, it's, okay. it's up to you.
2: Yes, it's, it's, probably, like, you it's probably like a six-minute piece. Okay, cool. Perfect.
1: While he's reading, I'll find a two-minute piece.
2: You'll find something. Okay, yeah. Sounds good.
1: There's a two-minute chapter somewhere.
2: I had three brothers, she began, but now – Nella took a deep breath, held it in, let it out slow. Now I am the last of the solo. After me, there will be no more. But our families, yours and mine, they were there in the beginning with the statue. She paused to sip her hot cocoa. The boy watched her, hungry for more. He didn't move, not even to brush the curls of unkempt dark hair from his eyes. Her face wrinkled into a smile, and she set the cup down, still holding it with both hands. She continued, not stopping until the cup had long grown cold. My father told my brothers and me the story of how the statue of St. Sebastian came to the village of Malili, the village we once called home. Like so many stories, this one started with danger. A ship was caught in a furious storm and ran aground in Magara Bay. The hull cracked open on the rocks and the waves pushed our saint ashore. All the sailors survived. They thanked their cargo for their lives, but none of these men could lift the statue to carry it off. Word spread. First among the shepherds, then to the local villages and cities, until news reached the bishop of Seracuza. In three days, he came with clergy and a crew of men to claim the saint. Again, the saint was too heavy to lift. From all over the province, people gathered on the beach, waiting their turn to try to break the spell and lift the statue. Some of the men built a fire, some of the women cooked. At night, they prayed. And in the day, their prayers failed them. When the procession from Malili arrived, our priest claimed the statue, saying, Since the making of the world, St. Sebastian has been painted here on the grotto wall in our village. Here, before even Sebastian himself was born, this is Malili, the martyr Sebastian, tied to a tree and porcupined with Roman arrows. Then our men raised the statue on a wooden pallet and placed the poles upon their shoulders, and a great cheer went up among them, as all the clergy prayed and made the sign of the cross. Ecciamulopaisanu, they shouted, Prima Dio San Mastiano. He is one of our own, first God, and then Saint Sebastian. Another cheer seized the men, and they carried the saint home. Our ancestors of Vasalo and a Morello among the bearers. Our families held hands and sang together, bringing their patron saint home to Malili. In the piazza, on the ridge, overlooking the bay, their knees buckled. The men cried out. A force had suddenly burdened them with a weight they could no longer carry. The priest kissed the wooden crucifix around his neck and said, No man can shoulder the might of God. So they left the statue there and built a church around it. This was May, 1414. 14. As children, my brothers and I loved that story. As children, we believed, as everyone believed in those days, that Saint Sebastian would protect the people of Malili forever. When earthquakes destroyed much of our village, it was by his glory our families lived to marvel. The statue unharmed among the ruins. Etna erupted. We prayed to him and our homes were spared. He saw us through all the wars and years of unrest and revolt in our history. Saint Sebastian always keeps us safe. He will always keep us safe. My father said these words as we hid in the cave, the war raging just outside. Gunfire cracked the air. Bombs whistled as they fell from the sky. Beneath our feet, the ground trembled. The cave shook like it might come down on top of us any minute. In the back, our mother prayed her rosary before the ancient painting of the saint on the cave wall. She wanted me, her only daughter by her side, but I wanted to work with my father and brothers. We hauled a bushel basket of almonds, the only food left to eat all around us Germans and allies fought such noise as you would never imagine
0: possible. Wow, beautiful. Thank you. I, I have like an intense fascination with everything revolving around uh, World War II. A lot of the times with World War II stories, you know, obviously you get the the macro picture. It's an interesting glance at something very intimate inside something that's not as much talked about. I mean, you know, Italy was used as a battleground you know
2: yeah i also have a fascination with that time period and and with italy in particular uh, my father was born in sicily and he was a boy during the second world war so the book is fired by a lot of what he told me about what life was like in mm-hmm. Sicily during that time and also about family history and and the the local folklore in Malili about their patron saint and and all of that. But I'm I'm definitely more interested in in that time period I'm interested in the perspective of the civilian in these giant global conflicts, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: And and how it affects them. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, I think about it all the time, especially with the bombing. It's just like terrifying. Lee, given by your last name, are you Jewish?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: You yeah. yeah. You guys you guys could be my fathers. I'm I'm half Jewish and half Italian. It's funny, my the Sicilian side of my family, they were already in America at the time, and they weren't involved in that war. But my my great grandfather died in the Dutch Schultz gang wars. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah, that we you know, that that side of my family's been over here for a long time. Yes, yeah, so my uh, father's grandfather,
2: to avoid getting drafted into World War One, came to the United States and stayed here until it was safe for him to go back. Uh huh. And then, so he raised his son, my grandfather, with this, with all these stories about how wonderful in America it was, you know, uh-huh. and how it was the land of opportunity and and all of that. And so he had this dream to one day have enough money to bring his entire family to the United States. So that's, yeah. So like, I kind of owe being here to him being a draft dodger, I guess. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's that's amazing. It's amazing how some, some of our family members just like sacrifice their existences for their, for their Mm -hmm. kids. And it's amazing. It's amazing to me because I just don't have that impulse. (laughs) It it sounds terrible, but I I don't, I don't even want kids anyway. (laughs) Everyone who's listening, definitely check the, uh, how the fires and it's great great. I want to talk to you about the book more sometime, but we'll we'll have that chance. So Lee, are you going to read from uh, your most recent or something you're working on or what what do you got?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to read from uh, The Ancestor, which came out about a week ago. Um, And it's about uh, a man who wakes up in the Alaskan wilderness, believes he was frozen on ice. He has amnesia. And as his memories come back, he starts to think that he was from the gold rush era and he was a prospector. It literally came to Alaska and then became suspended. So this is from around the middle of the book.
0: And is it, contem- is it contemporary times? Is It,
1: it is set in present-day Alaska, and then about a third okay. is his memories or his belief of his memory right. in the late 1890s uh, during the Alaskan gold rush. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: So, through the woods, Wyatt stumbles. The warm front hasn't hit yet. Everything on ice. He knows he should be cold, but doesn't feel the shock. It's what's allowed him to freeze for a century, blood and veins different than other humans, a heart that could withstand. He's seen kin of his with the same ability before, a clue to their immortality. Digging in his pockets, the needle's been left behind, but the baggie remains. He scoops some on his index finger, takes a snort, decides that's not enough and does it again. Jolt to his brain and then everything goes numb, eyes sparkling with crystals, stars reflected in his gaze. He's all-powerful, all-seeing, pouring through layers of the past until he reaches the memory he desires. The coldest day of the year, 1897, Little Joe's first winter, and a window remaining open all night. Barefoot in the morning, the chill spills over his toes through the crack in the door, the doorknob like a snowball, his heart punches as he bursts inside and finds little Joe in his bassinet right against the window sill, blizzard flakes covering the child's purpling face. He grabs him, rushing to the fireplace in the living room, brushes the packed snow from the baby's eyes, listens to his chest for a heartbeat, relieved to hear a steady purr, cooks him over the fire until limbs begin to magically uncrack, a wail that causes his own tears to fall as the child's face turns beet red. Joe surely should be dead, but a heart still beats. He can visualize the child while back in the woods, tucked in a snowbank, pale blue and flirting with death. This is how he must have looked all those decades in suspension too, but his own heart still beats. It had to. What unites you and me? He asked, his zombie child. What makes us able to withstand such temperatures? On Saturday, he'll be meeting his other kin, a great-grandson he was informally introduced to at Ailens, and even more, his grandson, a direct to Joe. Joe's child would have insight into what kind of man his son became. We're closer now than we've been in a long time, he tells the baby, an ice block in his hands, but alive and writhing. A giant hand sweeps down from the sky, not connected to anybody. It scoops him up, forcing the child to fall from his grasp. As he's carried away, the baby's frame by snow. A bleeding dot amongst the stark white. What could be heaven, but he cannot stay there for long. Doesn't deserve absolution. He'll descend to an opposite destination. The giant hand plunging down now with Wyatt locked in its fist. Smell of smoke until his nostrils are on fire. A pit of flames awaits ready to char his sins while the cries of little joe never cease a constant ringing in his melting ears
2: thanks
0: mm, is he so I, I you know obviously if this question gives away too much don't answer it what he takes in the beginning is it a, just a standard drug like is it like heroin or something or yeah so there. Or, 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 or i guess it would be morphine if it was that time i guess i don't know <laughs> I don't know. It's in the regular, he's in the present time.
1: Yeah. In the present time, um, yeah, there's, there's a Native American reservation close to where he lives, and he's um, in love with a the woman there who provides him um, basically the heroine. And okay. The heroine allows him to kind of jump back in time um, okay. and, and access those memories. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you know, it, it, it has its dark side to it as well.
0: Um, of course, yeah.
1: messes him
2: up even further.
0: Interesting. Very interesting. Awesome. I, I am curious because you guys both mentioned how COVID has affected your writing, but you know, what are you guys working on now? Because uh, now, you know, Lee, you just dropped a book, and you just said you finished a draft of another one, or did you finish? I, did
1: you, yeah, what what no, is done? I, I I finished it, and my my agent has already read it. Um, wow. We're maybe getting it ready to send it out in the fall. I don't kind of deciding if that's the right time necessarily with like everything else going on. Um, but yeah, it's called the great Gimelmans and it's about, uh, a, a Jewish family in the 1980s who lose all their money in the stock market and become bank robbers out of their RV, which is the one thing that hasn't been repoed. Is and, it after
0: the 87 crash or something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, black Monday.
1: And yeah. yeah, after black Monday and they become notorious bank robbers and
0: steal. Oh my God. I need to read this. this country.
1: Um, so it was a lot of fun to write, and it has a lot of kind of. You know, I, I've never really written too much about you know being Jewish and and just kind of you know uh, all, yeah. all of that. Um, you know the grandmother is Orthodox, so like there's a lot of my own family kind of heritage in, in the book as well. So it was a really fun one to write.
0: Yeah, cool. you can you can go back to the bar mitzvah days.
1: <laughs> yeah, and in 1987 I was eight, nine. I remembered enough of it that I was able to like you know like they go to a Tiffany concert at one part in the book. Um, uh huh. And they're being chased by the police, <laughs> and you know they hide out in a Tiffany concert in the mall. That's great. Um, so That's yeah, great. Different from the one that, that I just read from. Yeah.
0: My uh my bar mitzvah was in two thousand and one, I believe. Um, okay. It was, it was cl- somewhat close to nine eleven. I think it was a few months after. Okay. Um, my I had a I had a friend whose bar mitzvah was on my birthday, which is four four days after nine eleven. Wow. Um, and I yeah, it was God. it was nice. strange. Nice. Um, but nice. I. What's that?
1: He still had it, even though it was like nine. He
0: still had it. Yeah. I mean, it was just, you know, we I they, we, I guess they, they thought it was for the best. It's yeah. like, you know, no, just sure. keep going, you know. Um, but uh, speaking of the stock market, I, I took all of the money I got from my bar mitzvah and I put it into IBM stock. And I just remembered that recently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And there were an actual certificates, like pieces right. of paper. Sure, sure. <laughs>
1: That oh my god, amazing. it was amazing. Like it must have. My dad did the same thing. He invested all the money into stuff. From your bar
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's brilliant.
1: It's like worth a lot,
0: you know. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Um. So if you lost those pieces of paper, would there be no like?
0: I think so. I think you, wow. I, you know. I, I saw someone on Reddit the other day. They had those certificates as well, but they were from the seventies. Yeah. And so the shares had split a few times since then. So they actually were like the, the broker there, whoever their broker was or something said that they were disqualified or something. Cause yeah. they didn't get the shares you that could, shouldn't be right. Right.
1: Cause I was, I was, my, my father passed away about two years ago and he had a ton of physical stocks from the seventies and the eighties. Yeah. Um, literally about two years to get all of them actually transferred over. And a lot was because a lot of those companies no longer existed. existed yeah. You still can get your money back. So like, you know, it, it it was a lot of financial work, and as long as you have a good uh, financial advisor, they should be able. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, that's what I, I, I. You know, and like
1: things like that. Um, but it, you can get your money if you're really persistent.
0: Yeah, my totally unprofessional opinion was: there's no way that you just can't get your money back. There, there, there's no way if you have yeah. it. But anyway, um, so yeah, that that was great. So that's from your book coming out whenever it gets signed. I assume that's you know that's what you guys are looking for now.
1: Oh, with the, the, the... From what you just read? Ones ...or The Ancestor. The Ancestor. Yeah, so The Ancestor came out last week. Um, and oh, it's that's
0: the of- one from this... That's right, that's right. We're talking about... We were just... I got my, my stories mixed up. We were talking about the one with the crash. Right, right. That's the one you just finished. Got it. Yeah, yeah. So that
1: one, <laughs> I have no idea. Um, we'll, we'll,
0: that's how prolific you are. It's, it's. I can't even keep them straight.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully, my agent sells it. Um, and I don't know. I feel like this. that one has a more mainstream chance. So hopefully it, it, it It sounds like
0: it, it's funny. I, um, the, the book I'm, uh, working on now, I finally, as I said, I come up with 80 ideas and drop them before I find, I I can just tell what's like clicking with me, you know? sure. Um, it has a little bit to do with the market as well, except it has like a speculative twist. I guess it would, you know, kind of like your ancestor Alaskan story, Mm -hmm. like a little speculative twist like that, but like, you know, it's um, someone, basically, he needs someone who basically can, he, he gives them closing prices. So he, all he has to do is make the, make the right bets and he wins and it's easy. Right. And then it, but it progresses into this kind of like science fiction, speculative thing. Sure. Anyway. So, but Marco, okay. So, um, for you, how fires end, everyone needs to pick that up. Is it, is there a specific channel you'd like them to visit? Um, wherever they, wherever they can you know, get it.
2: Yeah. Wherever they buy books where they feel comfortable right. buying books. It's, it's books. available
0: on, on all the mediums I assume. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah. So it, it, um, it's in audiobook, it's paperback, it's hardcover and it's on Kindle. So
0: yeah. Yeah. Leah, little a does a really good job with their, um, we tried to kind of mimic a little bit of what they did in terms of creating a really nice, like paperback, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was great to talk to you guys. Uh, do you have, do you have anything else you guys want to mention A shout out any shameless self-promotion you want to make before we when, sign off?
1: When are we back with gorilla? What's the, what's the date? Um, yeah. Let's talk about
0: that. Let me look at my calendar. Hold on. It's the Wednesday. Um, and it could be zoom. It, it it, mo- it most likely it'll be Zoom. It'll be Zoom. September thirtieth, we're back. September. September 30th. Yeah. Yeah. So September. Lee
2: is reading, and Susan Button and I can't remember who's the other reader. Okay. I know. I, I said Lee. <laughs> yeah.
0: Who's the third one? You you he's, brought he, her. He, he's used to being called Matthew now because You're I
2: called out. him again.
1: <laughs> um, I I could look who the third. It's a yeah, read. I can't remember off the top of my head.
0: <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, you know what? Maybe. I, I'm, I'm going to try and mark that down because I need to get back involved, even though I'm going to be forced to, we got the, we got David's book launch coming up um, on the 11th um, and then, you know, a couple events for him, but. And then yeah, yeah I'm, I'm people
2: can follow, people can follow griddle Lid on Twitter, Instagram go. or Facebook. And, and they'll see the announcements for when the September 30th event is coming up and, and how they can join the zoom event for that. And I'm doing a virtual event on september 11th at noon double header i love it fall it's the fall for the fall for the book festival so it's, oh. in, it's in fairfax virginia i was supposed to be there did that but
0: i did there last year, year. yeah i read at the fall for the book festival yeah. it, was, it was a lot of fun yeah um it was on uh what was it george mason's campus that doesn't sound right it was in Virginia, so. In
2: Fairfax, I, Virginia, I think.
0: Fairfax, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that should be fun. I'll, I'll be interested to see what it's like on Zoom. That's cool. Okay, cool. Lee, you got anything else you want to uh,
1: do? I'll be doing a bunch of podcasts and, and things like that. Um, you can just go to my website at com and 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 check for things that are upcoming in September, October.
0: Cool. And any publishers out there, sign your book. That's, that's the next goal. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes, give us all the money.
0: I'm I'm definitely <laughs> interested in that one because I'm one of the few, um, you know, I don't know. There's not many writers out there that are interested in the stock market. So, <laughs> or like business and stuff. So like that, that, that that's very appealing to me.
1: Really wanted to write about the 80s and listen to a bunch of 80s yeah. while I was writing
0: it. So that's, that's a great cool. decade to write a like a yeah. market sort of bank robber book. I mean, like the 80s is kind of when the market first became sort of like this, game like casino almost sure. you know it
1: it's... to be set during the great depression from the others and i started doing the research and i was like and then i was like let me just do the 80s yeah.
0: <laughs> that's hilarious yeah that's uh that's a good lesson for all the young budding writers out there <laughs> wait, wait, what's gone? if the research gets boring just don't do it <laughs> Okay, that's it for today's episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review on whichever platform you're listening. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Animal Riot Press or through our website, AnimalRiotPress.com. This has been the 53rd episode of the Animal Riot Podcast with your host, Brian Birnbaum, and featuring Lee Matthew Goldberg and Marco Ruffala. Transcripts for our deaf and hard of hearing animals are provided by Jonathan Kay. The episode was edited by our podcast assistant, Dylan Thomas, and we're produced by Katie Rainey, without whom we would be merely three of Shakespeare's Thousand Monkeys Banging on a Typewriter. See you later, you filthy animals. The burn bombing on your land getting gully as the fern. I don't know much about